When I was a senior in high school, I met probably the most famous person that I've ever met or probably will meet in my life. I was playing in a golf tournament in California, and as I was on the putting green, I look up and I see Arnold Palmer, and he's walking into this women's clothing shop there at Pebble Beach. So what do you do? You follow him into this women's clothing shop at Pebble Beach so you can ask to get a picture. Now, if you're unfamiliar with golf for Arnold Palmer, you might not know how big of a deal this is to meet Arnold Palmer. Several golfers have nicknames, like Tiger Woods. Tiger is a nickname for him. His real name is Eldrick. Jack Nicholas, he's known as the Golden Bear. But do you know what Arnold Palmer's nickname was? Anybody know? Arnie? No, it's not Arnie. Not the Golden Bear. It's the King. He was known as the King because he was this larger-than-life figure in golf. He was really the first one that really made waves on the PGA Tour that made it a household name. And there's me and Arnold Palmer. And when I walk in there and meet Arnold, I'm struck, not that I'm with the king, but how much he looks like my grandfather, minus the jokes, and that I'm a little bit taller than him, and his handshake is just like mine, like he's just a normal guy. And I left walking away with that meeting with Arnold Palmer, like it was really cool, but then all of a sudden it was just like... He's just someone else. When people encounter Jesus, when they meet him, they are not left the same. They are either in awe of his grace and his mercy and the love and forgiveness that he has shown them, or they're outraged by the claims that he has made about who he is and what he's coming to do. Let's read together this first encounter that we see with Jesus in the Gospel of John and John the Baptist. And John is going to give Jesus, like Arnold Palmer, the nickname King, John's going to say something different about Jesus and his nickname and what he's come to do. Starting in verse 29, it says this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The goal for us today is not to see Jesus in a fresh new way that appeals to the modern mind. But our goal today is to see how Jesus is represented in the scriptures. And that representation of Jesus transcends time and space and invites us into his reality. So let's look at these descriptions that John the baptizer uses for Jesus. The first one that he gives is the Lamb of God. Now, this description of Jesus, it might be encouraging for us. 
Why is this so significant? It might be encouraging because we see Jesus as the lamb, meaning that he is meek and mild. But John doesn't simply mean that he is meek and mild, although he is. Jesus is approachable. He is the infinite king that invites you to come into his goodness as a gentle lamb. In fact, the only time that Jesus ever talks about his character outside of giving reference of the Son of Man or things like that, Jesus says this, that he is gentle and lowly of heart and inviting people to come to him. But if you read through the Bible, you will be struck by this description of Jesus and what John has in mind. Not Christ the Lamb, meek and mild, but Christ the Lamb of God, the great sacrifice for sins. Just notice the descriptions of a lamb throughout the Old Testament. First, we'll see the lamb, the true lamb of God. Jesus is the true lamb of God that Abraham told Isaac on Mount Moriah that God would provide. Jesus is the true Passover lamb whose blood is spread over the homes of those in Egypt who are saved. Jesus is the lamb of God who Isaiah prophesied would be brought to slaughter and not open his mouth. And here is what the Lord says about this lamb that it was his will to crush him, to make sacrifice for sin. So Jesus, as the Lamb of God, his key role is to take away the sins of the world. And I want to consider in three ways how Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What does it mean for Jesus to be this Lamb? The first one is that this is this. He is the complete Savior. Christ is the complete Savior. Notice what he says, that he takes away the sins of the world. He doesn't make vague proclamations of pardon or mercy or forgiveness. He doesn't declare us innocent by just saying, it's all good. Like, just move on, it's fine. No, what Jesus does is that he took our sins upon himself and he carried them away. 1 Peter 2.24 says, he bore them, our sins, in his body on the tree. The sins of everyone who believes are on Jesus, and they are now made new as if they have never sinned before. The Lamb of God, he takes our sin. He doesn't just pardon them or move them aside. He puts them on himself. The second that we see is that Christ is the almighty Savior. He takes away the sins of the world. He did not only die for Jews, but Gentile as well. He suffered for all mankind and all who will believe. Now this doesn't mean that all will believe. It does not mean that all will be saved. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world means this, that Christ's death is sufficient for the entire world. Christ's death is sufficient for the entire world, but it is only efficient for those who will believe. It's sufficient to pardon all men, but it's only efficient for those who will believe. We don't believe in universalism, that everyone, regardless of what they believe or think of Jesus, will experience life with Jesus. Jesus, his teachings are full of warnings for those who reject him. Next, for Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world means that Christ is the perpetual and unwearied Savior. He takes away sin. It does not say he took away sin. It doesn't mean that you have a one-time offer from Jesus that took away your sin and then it's up to you to figure it out the rest of the way. No, Jesus takes away sin, meaning 
that he is daily taking away sin from everyone who believes in him. Daily cleansing, daily washing, daily granting, daily applying mercy. He is ever and always taking away your sin. Christ intercedes on your behalf. But next we see that Jesus is not just the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John amps up the volume by talking about his baptism with the Spirit. Let's read verses 30 through 33 again. It says this, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Now to get a better understanding of what's going on here for John to be baptizing with water, but then Jesus is going to come later and baptize with the Spirit, we need, we need to trace a design pattern that runs throughout the entire Bible. Now if you've been with us here at Alpine for any certain amount of time, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Scripture repeats itself. It builds on top of itself so we have a full understanding of what's happening. And if you've ever been curious about what John is doing here where he says, so that he might be revealed to Israel, let's see how these repeated images and ideas or events in the biblical story repeat themselves and John is bringing them up for the reader. The first thing that we need to see is God's design pattern of salvation bringing people through the water. You may remember God's salvation in Genesis with Noah, where he saves a remnant of Noah's family by bringing them through the waters on an ark. Another story that we see is God saves Moses through an ark where his mother puts him in a basket and sends him down the river, passing through the waters. We'll later see Moses bring these, these Hebrew people through the Red Sea, parting the waters and delivering them through. In Joshua, God brings the people out of the wilderness and they once again cross through the waters to the place that God has prepared for them. You see how this repeats, God continuing to bring people through the waters to their salvation. Now here's John, and he is baptizing people through the waters, where? In the Jordan, where Joshua had earlier brought people through to the promised land. And now here is John the Baptist proclaiming, here is one coming. And what he is doing, John the Baptist is proclaiming the coming Messiah, coming for repentance and baptizing Israelites from Jerusalem and surrounding regions in the Jordan River. Now, if this is not uh, enough, look at, I think it's Isaiah 43. Uh, have it, Isaiah 42. No, I want to go to Isaiah 43 first. It might be difficult to find, but here's what it says. But this is now what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Verse two, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe in me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be any one after me. 
Now, what does John say here? John is recreating this imagery of baptizing through the waters so that the Messiah might be revealed to Israel. And then John also ends with saying, the Spirit comes on him and remains on him and that he is God's chosen one. Let's read Isaiah 40, what we read earlier this morning for our responsive reading. It says this in Isaiah. It's Isaiah 42, sorry. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Who is this speaking about in Isaiah 42? It is the Messiah that's coming. And what's going to happen? He is his chosen one and his spirit is on him. What is John saying? The spirit of God is on Jesus and he is the chosen one. What is this chosen one coming to do? He's coming to bring justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break or a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. I love that imagery of the islands putting their hope in this one, meaning that all creation waits for this Messiah that's coming. And here's John encountering Jesus, wanting people to see that this is the one, this is the Messiah. So as we begin this new sermon series, Encounters with Jesus, it's important for you to ask, have I encountered Jesus? Do I see him as scripture has truly revealed him to be, the Lamb of God who takes away sin, God's chosen one whose spirit is on him? Now, the difficult thing for us is that I often interpret, I can often interpret who Jesus is by the experience, experiences around me. I can interpret who Jesus is by my past upbringing in church or the past sermons that I've heard, and oftentimes, those can be a little bit skewed. They can be a little bit off. It's important for us to see how Scripture defines Jesus to be, Jesus as the Lamb, the great sacrifice. So my question for you is, what has your encounter with Jesus been? How do you see Jesus? So i got a few questions for us. Some of us, our encounter with Jesus, what we will do is we will use God to run from God. The way that we do this is I keep myself busy in church activities to avoid the pain and tension I experience in my close relationships or with those around me. Do you use God to run from God? Do you not see him as the great savior, the meek and mild lamb who takes away the sins of the world, but you see God as as someone that you have to always be doing for, And if you just do for God, then you can avoid all the pain in your past or all the sin in your own life. If you just do for God, you don't have to deal with the sin in your life. Or do you see him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who you can freely bring that to? Second, do we see ourselves doing for God instead of being with God? The way that we do this is we tend to evaluate our own spirituality based on how much I can or I am doing for God. 
Am I serving? Am I going to Sunday school? Am I at church regularly? Am I praying regularly? Instead of being open and honest and still before the Lord. The next question. Do you deny the past's impact on your life on the present? Ways ways that we do this is we rarely consider how past relationships, significant people, or events have shaped my present life and situation. You see, Jesus doesn't just come to forgive us of our sin. He comes to take over our entire life. And that means all of you, all of who you are, Jesus is ready to invade with his spirit. Next, do we cover up brokenness, weakness, and failure? Do we have a hard time speaking freely about my weaknesses, failures, mistakes, and sin? Do we never want to deal with it? Do we just want to come and hear the sermon or sing the songs and just leave? We segregate our spiritual lives and our secular lives. We never let Jesus take over our entire life. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isaiah 42 speaks of this Messiah, saying he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You've seen the candles that we blow out. There's barely even a flicker left. It says of this Jesus that he will not come and pinch you out. No, if if you have any desire to come to him at all, Jesus invites you to himself. God's chosen one. And this is what Ezekiel says of this chosen one. Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, comes to baptize you, to give you his spirit so that all of you can be all of his, so that you can be found in Christ Jesus. In John 17, before Jesus goes to the cross, he prays this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. My question for us this morning as we begin encounters with Jesus is have you encountered this Jesus who is full of love for you? until you see Christ's love for you and his desire to take away your sin and put it on himself, we will always be at some strange distance away from Jesus, never completely, fully coming to him. We will always forever trying to be who we need to be instead of letting Jesus be who we need. We will always be trying to do for Jesus instead of letting the work of what Jesus has done before us. Come to this Jesus, encounter this Jesus. How do we encounter this Jesus? In three ways. 
The first way is by his spirit. His spirit, what we learned in 1 Corinthians, that he reveals all truth to us. So you can pray this prayer to the spirit. Reveal your son to me. Fill me by your spirit. Give me a heart of flesh. Remove my heart of stone. And he will hear that prayer. The second way that we encounter Jesus is by his word. The scripture that we have in our hand is the revealed word of God, and it testifies to the true word of God, Jesus. And the third way is by his church. The Lord has ordained this group, this body of believers, to be the temple of the living God where his spirit dwells. And here is where we can know him by the love of others, by the sacrifice of others, by the serving of others, but primarily by his spirit working through others to point us to him. So this morning, that's the invitation. If you have not ever received this Jesus, if you've not ever encountered the Jesus who takes away the sins of the world, I invite you to do so this morning.